and whether we realize it or not, that we live in a day and time where our lives are literally controlled by algorithms. Your phone is collecting so much data on you. It's collecting everything you say, everything you look at. I literally went the other day to a grocery store. I was by myself. I bought a pack of peanuts. I think they were called Cars Peanuts, K-A-R-R, Cars Peanuts. Never heard of them, never seen them. Wasn't talking about Cars Peanuts to anybody. It was kind of a personal, private moment between me and the Peanuts. Wasn't like I was bragging to people that, hey, I'm buying Cars Peanuts. I checked out the Cars Peanuts. I ran a couple of errands. I got back here to the office. I flipped on Facebook, and the first ad on my Facebook was an ad for Cars Peanuts. The algorithm. Facebook now knows that I like peanuts. It knows the brand of peanuts that I like. I didn't even have to talk about the peanuts. I didn't have to show the peanuts to my phone. I simply had to purchase the peanuts, and somehow the algorithm picked up on it, and now the algorithm is full of peanuts. Our life is controlled by algorithms. I don't know why this thing is in my way today. There's patterns to things. They know the pattern to make you spend your money. And we're talking about the algorithm of life. The Bible knows the pattern for you to live the life you were created for. If you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this. You were created for a purpose. You were created by the creator of the universe. The one who looked out into nothing and saw something and spoke it into existence formed you and he shaped you. He created the color of your eyes and he created the color of your skin and he created the mind that is you. The Bible says that he has the hairs on your head numbered. Now I know for some of you that's not hard, but for some of you it is. And there's an algorithm, if you will, to the life that God wants us to live to the purpose that God has for us. And make no mistake about it, while we all have a purpose, each of us have a different purpose, but the algorithm to fulfilling that purpose is the same. And we've been going over that the last few weeks, and we've been talking about the things that God has laid out in his word. And we've been talking about how we need to take these steps in our life. And we're now in the last week of it. And I was reading my Bible the day, and I came across this verse. And the Bible says in Psalm 39, it says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made me my days a mere handbreadth, the span of my years and there's nothing before you. The psalmist is saying, hey, remind me that in the grand scheme of life, I am but a man. In the grand scheme of life, James says, our life is but a vapor. It's there for a second and it goes away. And so the question becomes, what are we going to do with the one shot that we have with this amazing freaking thing called life? And let me tell you something, life is amazing. Some of you have convinced yourself that it's not, but it is. But Gary, you don't know the stuff I'm going through. Life is amazing. Life is full of ups and full of downs and dip happens. I get that, but life's amazing. The fact that you got up this morning and you get another shot to make the most of your life is amazing. I'm 46 years old, and we have a bunch of old people in this church, like Doug. And so when I say I'm 46, they always say, oh, you're a young whippersnapper, because that's the thing old people say, whippersnapper. But the reality is this. My life is half over. It's probably very unlikely that I'm going to make it to 92 years old. I'm on the downside of life. 
And that's humbling. It makes me evaluate. It makes me think about some things. Suddenly things that were important to me at one time are no longer important. Because I want to make the most out of this thing called life. I I want to live a life that encourages others. And as I read this verse, and he's talking about, remind me that my days are brief. It actually began to change my prayer life a couple of weeks ago. I pray now every day that God reminds me, this might be my last day. And if it was my last day and I knew it was my last day, would I allow the things that are bothering me or allowing the things that I'm focused on to bother me? If it's my last day, I want to live it for all that it is. Our life is short. Our lives are so brief. It's important that we get a grip on this algorithm. And we've been talking the first week, we talked about the fact that we have to live passionately. We talked about those who take risks. If you missed that, you can go to actionchurch.tv and you can download the podcast. Life is full of risk. At the end of your life, you will not care how much money you made. You will care about the risk that you did not take. We talked the second week that if we're going to live the life that God has for us, we have to love completely. You cannot live the purpose that God has for your life if you cannot love. That means you have to love people who don't look like you, who don't believe like you, who don't vote like you. Now, I didn't say you couldn't think they were an idiot. But you can still love them. Last week, we talked about in order to live the life that we were created for, we have to learn from our past. The past is in the past, but the past has shaped us into what we are right now. Today, I want to talk to you about the next step in the algorithm, and I think it's so vital. And the older I get the more this one becomes important to me. This is the single part of the algorithm that I wish not only did I know, because you can know something and not understand something. I wish I knew and I understood this part of the algorithm in my 20s. The last component to living the life God has created you for is we have to leave a legacy. But not just a regular legacy, we're talking about a godly legacy. I'm talking about when your time on earth is done, what are you going to be remembered for? What is the thing that you have passed down? I got to get these shoes. Oh, I cannot preach in these shoes. I'm just telling you. They're hot, they're sweaty, and I hate shoes to begin with. Listen to me. I'm talking about when you're done. When you're six feet under. And when everyone's done crying over you and everyone's brought you your roses because we don't bring the roses when you're alive, unfortunately. We wait till you're dead. What are you going to be remembered for? What is the life that you live? What's the impact that you made? How, when people looked at you, did you live life different? The legacy that you have. Legacy is an important thing because legacy can be different to different people. Take your parents, for example. If I was to ask you today, um, did you have good parents or did you have bad parents? Regardless of your answer, here's the point. Your parents made an impact on you. They left a legacy to you. Again, it can be a good legacy or it can be a bad legacy. The reality is we all leave a legacy. So to say leave a legacy is not enough because we all leave a legacy. Hitler left a legacy. I don't know that it's a legacy that any of us want. I hope it's not the legacy that any of us want. And if it is, let me introduce you to a man named Jesus. But he left a legacy. The algorithm has to be, you're going to leave a godly legacy. If I was to ask you, what would you say about your dad? Some of you say, my dad was amazing. He encouraged me and he supported me. He let me know that he loved me and I am who I am today because of my dad. That would be me. 
The man that I call dad is not my biological dad, but that's how I would speak about him. Some of you would kind of have an indifferent view of your dad. You say he was a good man. He worked hard. He was a hard man, but he provided for us. And then some of you, the minute I asked you to tell me about your dad, you would immediately get tense. You would get uncomfortable. And you would say, man, my dad was a horrible man. He left us when I was five and was never around. My dad was a horrible man. He chose this, this, and this over being there for us. All three answers are a legacy. It's just the type of legacy you want to live. It's the type of legacy you want to leave. I have four kids, two boys, two girls. My youngest is named Luke. He's 11 now. Seven more years, and I am kid-free. Not that I'm counting. Seven years. You say, oh, they don't leave. They leave. The lamb house. The Bible says for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Some of y'all should learn that. Let me give you a mini-sermon today. The goal in parenting is not to be friends with your kids. The goal in parenting is to raise them where they leave and can function once they leave. Raise them and they leave. The Bible says trade up a child in the way it should go. You don't raise kids, you raise goats. You train children. Everything I try to teach my children is one day you're leaving. But Luke, he's 11. Christine had been in his life about two years when he was four. And I remember one day I asked him, I said, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember because at first it was one of those proud moments in my life. He said, I want to be like you, daddy. Chest bowed out. He wants to be a preacher. He's going to be a preacher. He's going to love God. He's going to stand up on stage. And I'm going to finally get to retire because he can take over Action Church. I'm selfish. I'm thinking about my own self. And I said, oh, you want to be a preacher? And he looked at me like he'd never heard the word preacher in his life. He said, no, I'm going to marry Steen. At least he's got good taste in women. I laughed and I smiled. And I said, well, I'm glad you want to be like Daddy. And I went in for a hug to have one of those sweet moments. He hit me between the legs with his lightsaber and ran off and kind of ruined the moment. But a legacy, a godly legacy, everything we do leaves a legacy. And there's some things we have to consider as we're leaving that legacy. You can't fight leaving a legacy. You leave a legacy everywhere you go. I was talking to a couple of vendors last night at my event as they were closing down. And it's funny because I'm used to the church world not liking me. And this vendor was like, I was at an event last week. And you were the talk of the event. I said, was I? I thought she was going to talk about the actual event. She said, yeah, man, the people in the booth next to me do not like you. I said, who were they? She said their name, and I had no clue who they were. I said, what do they sell? Because that's normally how I know my vendors by what they sell. I said, oh, I don't know. She said, it was interesting. She goes, they didn't like you. And then another vendor piped up and said, yeah, I don't like him either. He's like, how do you deal with that? And I said, well, I don't think about it. I don't care. She didn't know what I was preaching. She said, man, it's a crazy legacy. So you leave a legacy wherever you go, even when you don't know people. They probably had a crappy product set on their phone the whole time in a booth, and no one bought anything from them, but they don't want to blame themselves, so they blame me. That's the legacy. You leave a legacy wherever you go. 
But if you're going to leave a godly legacy, you have to be intentional about some things. At 46, I want to leave a legacy. I use that word a lot in our home. Now, I use that word a lot now as I'm starting businesses. I say, I want to leave a legacy business. I want, to, I want to leave something that outlives me. Most of my businesses are built on me. They're built on me doing the work or Christine doing the work or my personality or whatever. And when I'm gone, they'll be gone. I was like, man, I want to leave a legacy business. Something that I can pass down. I, I have some legacy principles that I want to pass down to my children. I have some legacy things that I want to leave to my wife. But I don't just want to leave a legacy. I want to leave a godly legacy. And I've got to be intentional about some things. And if we're going to leave that legacy, we have to have that intentionality in everything we do. Because everything we do is leaving a footprint and a legacy for all to see. First thing I want you to write down today is if we're going to leave a legacy, we're going to say the words that God wants us to say. We're going to say the words that God wants us to say. This is huge. I, I don't think we necessarily understand the power of what comes out of our mouth. Our words can build people up and they can tear people down. The Bible says in Proverbs that the tongue has the power of life and death. Think about that for a moment. This little thing right here has the power to bring life to somebody, and it has the power to literally kill somebody. The words that we speak literally build people up or they tear them down. Words can change someone's entire day. Yet we specialize in verbalizing the negative over the positive. Let's just be honest. We are a negative society. You go to a restaurant and you have a bad experience, you tell 20 people. You go to a restaurant and you have a great experience, you tell nobody. You go to a concert and it's great, you don't talk about how great the concert was, but you go to the concert and the sound isn't right, by God, you're going to let everybody know the sound wasn't right. I was talking actually to Chad Jenkins yesterday at the event. We were talking about an individual. And the first words out of his mouth about that individual is, man, he's just so negative. People are negative. But we're negative. The words that come out of our mouths just tear people down. We specialize in the negative, And for some reason, we avoid the positive. But in order to leave a godly legacy to those around us, our spouses, our friends, our children especially, we're going to have to say the words that God wants us to say. We have to say to those that we love, to the next generation, we have to say those things that are important. We have to pass down the principles of life that we've learned through the school of hard knocks. I think one of the biggest lies ever is they always have to figure it out on their own. Yes, they'll have to figure it out on their own. And the reality is most times they're not going to listen. But what I've learned is this. When I choose the words that I say and I speak them to people, they're still going to go through their hard times, but they won't stay there as long when they hit there. Suddenly those words come back. I get the lesson that I've learned. I get that pressure creates diamonds. I get all your stupid cliches. But we need to build people up. As a pastor, I count it an honor to go visit people in the hospital as their time on earth is coming to an end. I actually, to be honest with you, and this sounds kind of weird because I'm not a real compassionate type pastor, it's actually one of my favorite things. Because I think it's the ultimate in trust that they would allow me into their room at that time, the family members would, to be there during that time. But I can't tell you how many times I have showed up 
as someone's about to take their last breath, and a family member will pull me off to the side, and they'll say, as you're talking to them, can you just make sure they know that I love them? Can you just make sure they knew I was proud of them? And I always sit back to myself and I think, how pathetic that you need me to make sure they know that. When you could have done it. Pray with everything in my life that when you find yourself in that position, that you don't live with a life of regret because you haven't spoken the words that God wanted you to speak because you were holding on to your pride. You were holding on to your ego. You were holding on to unforgiveness. You just didn't make time. The tyranny of the urgent happened, and you didn't take time to pick up the phone and say, hey, just thinking about you. It's a godly legacy. I don't know that there's a human being in the world who's better at that than my dad. I have the clear blue, Christian. He'll just text us, won't he? Hey, I want you guys to know I love you. I'm proud of you. Man, I I love what you guys are doing. That joker don't even know what we're doing. But he wants me to know he's proud of us. We need to get to the point where we start giving people their roses while they're alive. I don't understand why we have to wait till someone's passed away to get up and talk about all the great things about them. A great example of this is found in the Old Testament. The wisest man who ever lived is named Solomon. And the entire book of Proverbs are just life hacks to his son. 31 verses in Proverbs. I always tell people, read one every day. First day of the month, read chapter one. I read it every single day of my life. And you would think I'd be over it by now, but man, it's amazing the truth that gets thrown at me. But in Proverbs 4, here's Solomon. He says this, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my, to my words. What he's saying is, son, I'm going to take some time out to talk to you about some things. Son, I've got some things I need you to hear. And I need you to get off your phone for a minute. And I need you to get off social media for a minute. And son, for just a few minutes, quit texting your girlfriend and turn off the football game and give me your undivided attention because I'm about to pass some wisdom down to you. Here's what he says. He says, he says, my son, down to verse 20, he's just throwing truth at him. He reminds him because, now remember, he reminds him, verse 20, he says, pay attention. And then he says, I need to go a little bit deeper how deep what I'm about to tell you is. Do not let them out of your sight. Let what out of your sight? The words I'm about to teach you. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and help to one's body. What he said, he said, son, I'm about to give you words that are going to bring so much health and vitality to you. Son, I'm 46 years old and I've been through it before. My son, my oldest son's in college right now. He knows everything. He came from a very strict mother. And he has freedom for the first time. And that's awesome. I want him to have freedom. I love that he loves being off on his own. But he's doing what any typical kid going off to college would do. He's doing some things that... While okay, probably in the moment, he needs some reminders about things. And I've had more life conversations with him. I said, I get that you're going to go out and do X, Y, Z. But just remember this, son. Hey, and I've been where you've been, and I know what can happen. Just let me remind you about this. And as you're doing that, make sure you're focusing on this. Our 15-year-old daughter Of all my kids, she's not biologically mine, and she's the most like me. She knows what she wants out of life. She's focused on her professional life at 15. She knows what she wants to do. Not only does she know what she wants to do, she's already put herself in position 
to do what she wants to do with her life and be trained by the best there is. Some of you can learn some lessons as adults from that. She went to this place and they said, we can't start training you by law until you're 17. She said, can I fold towels? She said, can I empty trash? So she looked at him and said, I could go to Publix and work, but I'm not going to learn what I want to do. She said, surely I'm going to learn more being in here. The guy was so impressed he gave her a shot. She's been there less than a year. He called the board, the state Georgia board, and got an exemption where they can start training her at 16 instead of 17. Hold on, hold on, stop. Because I don't really care if you agree with it or not. She's moving in January from day school to night school where she can focus on what she wants to do with her life and have more hours to do it. So I set her down, and Christine set her down, and we said, well, you've got some tough decisions to make. And I want you to think about this, and I want you to think about that. And, 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 and we want you to think about how you're spending your money. And hey, here's what you need to do here, and here's what you need to do there. And hey, I know this week you have an opportunity to make an extra $500, and I know you'd rather be with your friends, but $500 is a lot of money. And you still owe mom and dad for the car, so let's go do that job. We're pouring truth into her all the time. So I don't know that I agree with letting your kid do that. Again, I don't give a crap. And here's the deal. I don't know that we would let all our kids do that, but we let her do that because we teach each of our kids different where they're at. I don't think I'm going to let Luke do that at 15. He's, he's dumb. <laughs> Thank God Luke looks like me. He can, he can depend on sex appeal to get him through life. <laughs> Just saying called Christine the other day. We were setting up for the festival. One of my vendors, they're Greek. And they said, man, you're rugged. I said, I am. I don't even know what that means. Because there's a lot of things I am rugged is not one of them. They started to tell me all the things they would do to me if they had five minutes with me. I walked away, I called Christine, I said, 46 years old, still got it. She said, you got what? I said, one of the vendors wants to do all kinds of dirty things to me. Now, I didn't tell her until later on that it was a male who was telling me these things. But here's the deal, baby, when you're 46, it's just good to know you still got it. So Luke's going to be okay. But I got some things I want to pass down to them. Always. It's funny, people will say you're over the top. Now, let me tell you, so Luke's 11 years old. He's in fifth grade. He played football for the first time. Just like any, any football player, he wants to be the running back. He wants to be the quarterback. He wants to be the wide receiver. Here's the deal. You're slow, you're white, and you're not the most athletic in the world. So he gets to be the center. And he was mad about being the center. And so I set him down, and we begin to go through YouTube, and I'm showing him some of the great centers. I said, you understand the center? The most important person on the field. I said, the center's calling every place, son. He's telling everyone what to do. And so I begin to tell him, here's how you're going to handle that team in fifth grade. Now, did he do it? Nah, he did like a fifth grader. That's not the point. I've got words I want to say to him. I'm not waiting till he's 18 years old before I start teaching him leadership and before I speak truth into him. And he would have bad games, he would come off the field, and I'd ride that, boy, I'd ride him. But then I'd want to know, man, but I love you, and I'm proud of you, and I know you're going to keep getting better. We've got to be careful with the words we say. Man, I, I want my child to know, man, I love you. If there's one thing, son, Solomon said, I want you to know it's this. And he begins to express those words to him. I heard a counselor recently, I had a counselor, my counselor recently, I say recently, about a year ago, she said something to me, I remember it. I said, what's the most common thing you've seen? Because I'm always fascinated with making sure men are being what they should be. I said, what's the most common thing you've seen with men who are whatever you would deem successful versus unsuccessful? She said, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people. 
She said, the most common denominator when it comes to men as I've seen is this. I always ask, do you believe your dad was proud of you? And she said almost every single one, 100% of those who she would deem whatever her classification of not being successful was, would look at her and say, no, I don't believe my dad was proud of me, or I'm not sure if my dad was proud of me. Tragic. I mean, they tell you something, it'd be a cold day in hell before my children don't know I'm proud of them. I met with someone recently who was having trouble connecting with his son. His son's awesome. I asked the dad, I said, does your son know you love him? Question I always ask. Does your son know you love him? Well, of course he knows. I said, how? He just knows. I said, have you ever told him you love him? He's quiet. I knew the answer. I said, have you ever looked at your son and told him you're proud of him? His answer was, my dad never told me. I just knew. I said, okay. I said, let me ask you another question. How's your relationship with your dad? I don't have a relationship with my dad. I said, why? My dad was a horrible man. It's okay. So like I said, he didn't even realize he was contradicting himself. My dad never encouraged me. My dad never told me he was proud of me. I said, but you said you just knew. I said, so you're doing to your son what your dad did to you, and you're 50 years old and can't stand your dad. In tears. This dude was a rough dude. I'm a bad dude. Just start flowing down his eyes. Cold day in hell before I don't say the words that need to be said. I want to pass a legacy down to them. I want my kids to know they can do whatever God created them to do. Someone asked me one time, they said, man, how did you get into business for yourself? I started in business for myself when I was 16 years old. Do you know how I did that at 16 years old? Because at six years old, I can remember my dad saying, whatever you want to do in life, do it. My dad had an amazing job. We were very well off when I was growing up, and my dad was miserable. I remember my dad would go to the mailbox and come back, and he'd lay all the bills on the table, and he'd look at me and say, don't ever get in debt like this, son. i say, why? He said, because, son, now i got to go to a job I can't stand to pay for all this stuff. Hey, are we good on the other side of the curtain? All right. Sound like a bill collector was calling. Probably trying to give him a car warranty. At six years old, my dad would say that. Lives in a beautiful house, screwed up. My dad would say, see this house, son? Yeah, he goes, I love this house. This house is not important. He said, if I had to do over again, we'd live in a smaller house and I'd have more time for you guys. And I remember my dad at six years old and seven years old and eight years old and nine years old and ten years old saying, son, it's too late for me. Don't go down this path. Building a legacy in my life. Don't do as I've done. Do as I'm telling you. So it came time to start working. I got a job at Dairy Queen. I came home and I remember the first check. I was like, man, I did all that work for this? Then I had a baseball card. I sold that baseball card and made triple what I made on that paycheck. I sold another baseball card and made triple what I made in that paycheck. And then at 16, I opened up my own baseball card shop with the money I had. Not because I was something, because my dad had poured a legacy in me verbally. Pouring truth into me. The words you say matter. You're passing it down. Tanya, you're not even going to have this verse on the screen because literally this verse came to me this morning. 
I was thinking about Matthew 3.17, Jesus being baptized. Now, you need to understand something. At the moment Jesus was baptized, he had performed no miracles. He was not teaching in front of crowds. He had done nothing by the world standards that would make him a success. He had done none of the stuff of the stories that we share. But as he gets baptized, a voice came from heaven. God, his father, said this. This is my son, whom I love, and with whom I'm well pleased. God the Father spoke verbally about his son. Jesus didn't look back and say, man, I just know God loved me. Booted me out of heaven to come down here to die for everybody. He loved me. No, God verbalized it to him. I think it's somebody, I literally wrote this down out of nowhere. This is my son. He was giving him an identity. You're my son. I tell my kids all the time. They'll come home and have an issue. So I say, Mm-mm. you're a lamb. We don't cower from confrontation. We don't back down when things get hard. We don't allow things to defeat us. I want them to know who they are. I'm careful with the words. We don't understand the power of words. He said, this is my son. It was identity. He said, but then he said, whom I love me. He showed affection. There's power in affection. We're going to say the words that God wants us to say if we're going to leave a legacy. And then he said, with whom I'm well pleased. When was the last time you affirmed the people in your life? The people who put in the work for you. The people who do life with you. The people you chose to do life with. When's the last time you spoke truth? You gave them that identity, that affection, that affirmation. Everybody longs to hear those things spoken over them. There's power in words. There's no such way to leave a legacy without verbally leaving it. I go out of my way now to make sure people get the credit around whatever I'm doing. You know why? Because for the longest time, I didn't do that. When I was 28 years old and I started a church, and it grew, and there was 13 staff people on there, I literally would say, I don't need to affirm them. They get paid to do that job. I'll let them when they know they do it right. Why do, why do I need to tell them they did something right? It's their job to do it right. And then when I lost everything, not a thir- one of the 13 was there for me. And I looked back and got angry at them for a while. Now I look back and say, man, no wonder they weren't there for me. Because I wasn't there for them with a legacy. I didn't pour into them like they should have been poured into. Of that 13, many of them's life fell apart after that. They lost jobs. They couldn't get things. And I always look back and say, man, I messed that person's life up. Because I didn't pour a legacy into them. The words you speak, they leave a legacy. So we're going to speak the words that God wants us to say. Hey, here's the second part. This is what really gets hard. We're going to do what God wants us to do. Words are great. They don't mean crap if you're not backing them up. My wife tells me all the time, you can tell me you love me or you can show me you love me. There's a thing in the closet called a vacuum. You can tell me you love me or I can come home just once and the dishwasher be unloaded. I don't know where those things go, so why would I unload it? And I don't understand why you have to unload the dishwasher. Why can't it just be a shelf? Pull it out and use it in there. But man, we're the, we're the kings of saying things and then not doing things. Talking about living a legacy. You don't leave a godly legacy just talking about doing it. You got to do it. We didn't name this church Action Church because we thought it sounded cool. I actually thought it sounded really stupid. Just being honest. 
Man, when we started this church, everybody had cool names. There were momentum and evolve and elevation. And I'd already used revolution. And I couldn't use that one anymore. And you know what I really wanted to call this church? I don't know that I've ever shared this story. I wanted to call this church Renegade Church. A little of that was to be spiteful because I had this old logo at my last church and the new pastor changed the logo. I was like, I'm going to go back and use that logo just to piss them off because I was carnal. It started with an R. And I'm going to call it Renegade Church. Man. Uprising Church. That was one of the names I thought of. You know, movement. I don't want to be a movement. Sounds horrible. And literally, I just kept coming back to action, church. And we had the worst logo in the world. You know why our logo looks like that? Because I had no money. And I was like, well, man, that looks like the Adobe A. I bet that'd be easy to recreate. So it's really like Adobe Church. But God just kept bringing me back to action because here's why. I was so sick and tired of churches talking about what they should be doing instead of actually doing it. I was sick of every church talking about how they were the most loving church in town, but when you visited the church, nobody talked to you. I was sick of hearing churches talk about how they cared about the community, but they really only cared about it if they got the credit or it was the holidays. So we went to Action Church. Because we wanted to live out. We wanted to do what God wanted us to do. Check out Paul in Acts. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. Race is a movement. It's an activity. And complete the task. The only way you complete the task is doing what God told you to do. That Jesus Christ has set before me. He said, it's the task of testifying to the news of grace. He said, God's given me a mission in life. God's given me a calling in life. God has told me what I'm supposed to do in my life. He said, in other words, if I can't preach Jesus, to quote Metallica, nothing else matters. Because that's all I care about. He said, there's only one thing left for me to do. I want to preach Jesus. He said, I don't care if the other Christians like it. I don't care if Peter likes it. I don't care if the disciples like it. I don't care if they like how I go about doing it. I'm called to do this, and I'm going to do this. And the reality is, Every one of you have a calling on your life, and the large majority of you would say you've never acted on it. The amount of people who've come to me in life and said, man, I, when I was younger, God called me to preach, and I didn't do it. God called me to be a missionary, and I didn't do it. You leave a godly legacy by stepping out and doing it. What's the unfinished business you have? And by the way, when God calls you to do something, man, it rarely makes sense. It's rarely attainable because if it was attainable, you wouldn't need God. And here's the other part. When you step out to do what God's called you to do, those closest to you and those who are Christ followers will criticize it the most. And here's why they'll criticize it. Because they didn't have the testicular fortitude. If you're from Pickens County, that's balls. They didn't have the balls to step out and do what God called them to do. And it reminds them watching you as you do it. They hate that. Nehemiah stepped out to rebuild the wall and send ballot. And them, Geshem and them came out and said, hey, come on down. Don't do that. He said, I'm doing a good work. I will not come down. You've got to do what God's called you to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Maybe you're in the middle of a job and God's calling you 
to walk away from that job and throw in that steady paycheck and doing what you want to do. That don't make sense. And I get it. It don't make sense. But you got to do it. You know why? Here's why. Here's why. Here's why. Because you're leaving a legacy. This isn't the only type of legacy. It's just my life. So it's the only way I know to use it as an illustration. You know why Emily doesn't think it's weird to step out and chase the career she wants even at 15? Because it's all she knows. Because it's all we've done. She's seen us start businesses. She's seen those businesses fail. She's seen those businesses succeed. People didn't understand it, but that's okay. She went to a family member's house during Thanksgiving and told him what she was doing. Family member loves her. Family member, by what I would consider successful in life, is not successful in life. By what most people would consider successful in life, not successful. And they were the first ones to look at it and be like, that's not how it's done. You got to go to school during the day because you can only learn during the day. And you got to graduate. She's going to go to school at night and still graduate. It's an amazing concept. It's just not how it's supposed to be. Well, you did it that way and it's working out so well for you. Got to step out and take risk. I want my kids to know to be risk takers. My son, I think my son tries to freak me out sometimes, my oldest son, I don't know. But like, I think he forgets who we are. I know, I think he comes up with these ideas because he knows it freaks out his mom and his stepdad because they're not that way. He's like, I'm going to move to New York City. I'm like, oh, cool. What? I said, do it now. Don't do it when you're 30. Can't do it once you got kids. Go do it, son. He said, like, what if it doesn't work? I said, well, then you learn. Good, go do it. Ain't nothing my kids can come to me and tell me that's going to, go do it. So I'm passing that legacy down to them. What's your unfinished assignment? There's a book inside of you guys just waiting to write. You just won't give them the information to write it. But it doesn't make sense. Good. People are going to think I'm crazy. Good. You're leaving a legacy. What if it fails? Good. You know how many things we started that have failed? I just don't brag about those all the time on social media. It's why you don't see them. We've lost thousands and thousands of tempting things. Well, I don't got thousands. Well, then spend hundreds. But we've done plenty of work, too. The will of God is not the safest place to be. Let me make that clear to you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the will of God. They ended up in a fiery furnace. Daniel was in the will of God. He ended up in a lion's den. That's a lie from the pits of hell that preached. The will of God is safe. No. But the will of God is amazing. Will of God got Jesus hung on a cross. Will of God's not safe. But it's the best place in the world to be. I'd rather be in the lion's den with God's blessing than to be in the biggest mansion without God's blessing. I'd rather be in a one-bedroom shack with God's blessing than the biggest house around miserable without God's blessing. And I've been in both places. People ask me all the time, and I get that it's common. I had a guy literally ask me yesterday. I ran into a pastor I hadn't seen in 13 years. He said, tell me about action. I'm telling him about action. 
He said, be honest with me. All right. He said, you missed the thousands? I said, no. He said, you're telling me that if God sent thousands, you? I said, no, if God sent thousands, I'm cool with that. But I don't miss it. I treasure that time. I learned a lot during that time. But for whatever contest in hell I won, this is where God wants me. There's two churches in town that are merging together, and I love both the pastors. About two weeks ago, they were joking with me. You ought to come. We all, all three ought to merge together. So I'm like, that sounds cool. I said, I get to be in charge? Well, no, I'll be the main teacher. What the one guy said. I said, you'd be in the corner sucking your thumb if you had to teach my crowd. No, I, he's like, no, I can deal with it. I deal with it. So he said, I can deal with sinful people. That just let me know right there because we're all sinful. I said, well, you're sinful. I hope you can deal with it. I said, my people ain't sinful. They're messy. And I said, they're the worst kind of Christians. They don't know they're supposed to hide it. Like, they just wave their messy out on the front porch. He's like, well, where do they get that from? You? You got to take the step. There's no place in the world I'd rather be than here on Sunday. I love this place. Love it. I walk up on stage today, and I like told Phil, I said, uh, you know, service starts in two minutes. Thirteen years ago, if I'd have said that, you know what the word? Yes, sir, you know what Phil said? Not today. I looked at him and was like, okay. Turn around, walk back down the steps. I go to Tanya, I said, why do you start that telling? She said, not today, it don't start. She goes, it starts at 1010. I said, but they're ready to go. She said, today it starts at 1010. It'll be all right. I said, okay. Walked away. For a brief second, I was like, I thought I was the damn pastor around here. When I say start something, start it. And then I just chuckled. And I said, God, I love this place. And then Tanya must have known I had anxiety over it because she compromised and met in the middle all of a sudden the countdown timer started. And I said, oh, they love me. We're going to do what God wants us to do. Here's the deal. I don't know what God wants you to do, but you do. So do it. Don't make sense. Do it. Can't afford it. Do it. What if I fail? Do it. It just doesn't make sense on paper. Do it. Not for success, but to leave a legacy. Others are watching you. They're wanting to see if you're going to practice what you preach. Do you know that God... Oh, this is so preachery right here. But I believe it. God's already written the check. He's just waiting for you to come get it. I like in Isaiah, I can't remember exactly where, but in Isaiah, he, I, I got another point. I'm not even going to get to it today. He said, um, I, I got to be in Delonica for a wedding soon. I got to get out of here. Listen, in Isaiah 45, I think, he said, I go before you and I make the crooked places straight. Here, I don't know what's the next. I can only see the next step. Take the next step. God's like Steve Irwin, the bushwhacker. He's up ahead of you just cutting stuff down with his machine. Come on! I done been around the corner. You ain't seen the blessing over here, but I have. Come on. You want the whole plan laid out. Well, if you had the whole plan laid out, why do you need faith? People mute. They couldn't be, hey, Gary, what's your plan with this? I don't know. I know what we're doing in the next month about it. What, what about, what's the next, what's step five? Man, I'm just trying, I, I can see step two. Sometimes it's so dark, you just got to take the next step. But here's the amazing thing when you take that step. Then suddenly you can see the next step. You gotta do what God's told you to do. 
think that's Tanya's way of telling me to speed up. I don't know what she's doing over there. Listen, we've got to leave a godly legacy. A lot of notes left. I'm not going to preach this last point. I'm going to give it to you. To leave a godly legacy, we're going to live the way God wants us to live. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. That point would be on the screen, but apparently they're having problems with the screen. When Xander ain't here, the whole church falls apart. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. One day you're going to have something. I call it the meeting. And you're not going to be there because you're going to be dead. And I'm going to meet with your family. I'm going to say, tell me something about him. It can go one of the good ways. It can go horribly terrific. And that's when they're like, man, he was this, and he taught me this. And it's horrible because they're dead, but it's terrific because they're just telling me all the amazing things. Or it's just going to be what I call horrible. Tell me some things about them. And it's silence. And it's awkwardness. And then they'll say something like this. He liked hot sauce. And I'm like, what? Man, God, then all of them, man, boy, he put hot sauce on everything. Boy, he'd have a ham sandwich and put hot sauce on it. Then another person, I I saw him put hot sauce on cheesecake one time. That's horrible. All they can say nice about you is you like hot sauce. Pitiful. He liked fish. Boy, he'd be 50 degrees, he'd be 15 below zero, he's fishing out there. I ain't against fishing. But by God, I don't want my legs to be, I like to fish. I want my kids to look and be like, man, he took risks. I want people to be like, he was unorthodox, but he loved the least of these. I want him to be what they already say. He really was the nicest asshole around. He'd chew you out, but it was almost like you took it because you knew he was chewing you out because he loved you so much. I don't want my kids to be like, he liked rain energy drinks. I want to live the way God wants us to live. I don't have time to get into all this. The way God wants us to live. You just need to live the way God wants you to live. That means you live by conviction instead of preference. We think we have convictions until our preferences take over. Got a conviction I ought to be in church until the ball game comes on early. I got a conviction all to do this, this, and this till it's hunting season. Got to live with convictions. I'm done. The Bible says in James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. You want to live a legacy? Here's the deal. Let me tell you something. Even if you don't believe in God today, you're an atheist. Welcome to Action Church. We're so glad you're here. We're not going to shove Jesus down your throat. You keep coming. You can live a life as an atheist, and this is still a great book to live your life by. It's a book for winners. The answer to any question you have is in here, and eventually, atheist, you'll meet God in this book, trust me. And it'll change your life. Do what God says to do. Live the way that God wants you to live. Some of you are so busy living the way you want to live. My life, my rules, that's not how it works. It's your life, God's rules. But you look at them as rules. I look at them as principles to help me live the life God wants me to live. Rules, man, I rebel against rules. I hate rules. In case you didn't know. But principles I can get behind. There was so much more I wanted to say, but here's the deal. The algorithm for life. Put those four points back up, Tanya, please. Live passionately. Love completely. And make sure you're leaving a godly legacy. Say the words that need to be said. Do what God says to do. And live the way God says live.
And when your time here on earth is done, your time on earth will not be done because it will be passed down to the next generation through your legacy. The legacy is something that outlives you. Let's pray.